Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. Today's program explores how artificial intelligence is transforming government. In part three of this four part series, Dr. Daniel Gerstein, former DHS Undersecretary for ST, leads a discussion on artificial intelligence in government, including AI innovation, the need for structured data, the roles of government and industry to support AI and AI acquisition policy. Dr. Gerstein is joined by Nathan Manzati, Director of Data and Analytics, GSA IT Centers of Excellence. Dr. Ellen Voorhees, Fellow, National Institute of Standards and Technology. And Gretchen Stewart, Chief Data Scientist, Intel Public Sector. This program was recorded on October 28, 2022. I want to start really by asking each of the panelists to talk about their responsibilities in developing AI capabilities within their respective organizations. So I think, you know, I will ask Nathan to kick us off. Sure. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for the opportunity to participate in this panel today. So, yeah, I work in the Data Analytics Center of Excellence, which is part of Technology Transformation Services at the GSA. And what the Centers of Excellence do is Primarily, we do a few things, but primarily we work with other federal agencies and assist them with their digital modernization efforts. So we have an artificial intelligence center of excellence, a data analytics center of excellence where I work, cloud adoption, customer experience, and innovation adoption. Yeah. So, you know, we'll work with other federal agencies. They'll come to us and tell us what their priorities are, whether that be cloud adoption or data strategy, things like that. And then usually we'll assess the current state there and give them sets of recommendations. And really our projects run the gamut between actually migrating them to the cloud and introducing new advanced analytics and AI capabilities and even doing strategy work and things like that. So a lot of the work that I do in particular sits on preparing the agency for adopting AI, right? So everything related to... DevSecOps and data quality processes and all that kind of stuff. But in addition to the consulting that we do, we also run a number of communities of practice. One of those is an artificial intelligence community of practice where we make resources and training available to the entire federal government. So it's a little bit about the COEs. Great. Thanks, Nathan. And Ellen, how about you? Thank you. I work at NIST. NIST is a federal agency. It's part of the Commerce Department known mostly for its measuring of things. And the things that I measure are are language technologies, and in particular, search, as in search engines. This is large, my work in particular has largely been mostly on the research end of things, not so much on on direct search making, but NIST, of course, does do that. And the work that I've done at NIST has largely focused on creating test sets. So these are benchmark tests for a variety of different tasks, most of them related to language. In my case, most of them related to language tasks, but NIST, of course, also has biometrics and and voice things and cybersecurity and and a whole lot of, of other things. Great. And Gretchen, what are your thoughts? Hey, good morning, everybody. So I'm the chief data scientist for Intel working in the public sector. So I honestly have the lucky job of really being able to be the, I'll call it the translator. So working directly with all of you from a government perspective, but then really going back to our business units and making sure that we are designing the right technology 
and that we are building into our processors, whether they be, you know, field programmable gate arrays or CPU, even silicon photonics, really thinking about what we need to design to be able to get the answers faster with incredible accuracy to all the work that that is important to the government. And so I spend a lot of time, as both Nathan and Ellen talked about, ensuring that we understand where is the data, what format is the data in, and really working with the government customers to help define those processes and what might make the most sense. Is it an object detection? Is it potentially recommender engine? You know, what kind of math equations, what kind of statistics should we be using? And I'm really excited to be part of this panel and to really talk about that. Plus, as an example, one of the things that I do internally at Intel is sit on our responsible AI council to really review all the work that we do, whether it be, you know, hardware, whether it be creating data sets, whether it be training, creating models, ensuring that we're doing it with the the right impact in mind and, and a good impact as opposed to a bad. Great. So, you know, all three of you have spoken about data in this early entry discussion that we've had. And I want to pick up on that theme and just ask you a little bit about data and to think about how do you know when you have enough data and if it's the right data? Talk a little bit about that. And since you're, we'll start with you this time. Sure, sure. So, so I honestly, you know, stepping back, want to make sure that when we're having those kind of conversations, that we're really looking at it from the use case in terms of what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Because I definitely say this a lot, and I think it's really true. The government probably has the most amount of data on the planet. They collect a tremendous amount, especially you think about Homeland Security and not only from a TSA perspective or FEMA or the law enforcement piece, they're collecting immense amounts of data all the time. And so to your point, is it the right data? And so really coming back from, hey, what is it that we're trying to solve? And then understanding, well, what's the data that we would need to solve that? And one of the things that I've seen within some of the divisions like Border Patrol and others, they're starting to marry those really smart domain experts with the data scientists or the the coders and really understanding that while you might have a, a brilliant degree in computer science, if you don't really understand the mission that sometimes the work that you're doing or pulling different data from different places isn't presenting an answer and and a heat map or something that would be helpful for, as example, like a border patrol. And so I really think that that's a smart thing that I'm seeing happen more and more is people are starting to realize that you need to marry those domain experts with the technical resources to ensure that you have the right data. Great. Ellen, how about picking up on some of those themes and talk a little bit about the data? And I'd also be interested if you have any experience thinking about the domain experts linking up with the data science as well. Yes, sure. I can't emphasize enough of how much I agree with Gretchen that the question is not how much data you have. It's, first of all, what problem are you trying to solve? Right? Without, without knowing what problem you're trying to solve, everything else is hopeless. And then it's, not, it's still not even what size of your data, because data comes in all sorts of different you know, cleanliness. And, and you know, if, it's, if it's a lot of redundant data, then it doesn't really matter how big it is. So. So once you know once you know what problem to solve and what data would be helpful to solve it, you then can look at is the data that you have representative of the cases that you will have 
to to solve with it. And so it's much more representativeness of the data that you need. With regard to whether I've seen you know domain experts getting in involved with the with the data the technical end of things. Yes, yeah, certainly. In this program that I've been running at, at NIST called TREK, which stands for the Text Retrieval Conference, the focus has been on search engines in various different forms. But the whole thing started as a DARPA program and where we were trying to help intelligence analysts, right? And and it's very definitely the case that the intelligence analysts were informing the DARPA program, which were in turn informing the sorts of problems that we were looking at. Now, we've branched out somewhat more than that, but it's still the case that our human assessors, the people who make our judgments for us to, to make our data sets, are still largely retired intelligence analysts, right? So there's, and except in those cases where we're, for instance, we had, we have several tasks within medical, and in which case we use physicians to make our judgments, right? So it's always this case that we're trying to tie it back to the real user or at least surrogates for the real you. Always keeping in mind that the problem first and most is what problem are you trying to solve? A, a somewhat technical answer to the question of how much is enough data, it's not a very actionable answer, but it's a technical answer, right? You, you know that you have enough data and representative data if the model that you're building is stable and generalizes well. But that's sort of you know an answer only after the fact. That and and so if it doesn't do those, then you probably have to go get more data. I'll stop there. Excellent, Nathan. How about you? What are your thoughts from a GSA perspective? Well, I think Gretchen and and Ellen really nailed it already. And I agree with everything that they were saying. As far as the domain experts being involved with analysis and the technical teams, in my experience working with other agencies than GSA, I've seen two different scenarios. One in which the domain experts have no insight into what IT is doing. And then another scenario in which the domain experts are spending a lot of time dealing with technology and being forced to you know, learn skill sets that take them away from using that domain expertise. And I think uh, from an operational standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to try to find the correct balance and structure in the organization so that the domain experts have the support from IT with advanced technical skill sets, right? And, you know, they can work productively with the data scientists, you know, to, to do what they need to do and use the data efficiently. In terms of how much data that you need, again, I, I agree completely with what Gretchen was saying that, you know, you have to start with the with the use case and work backwards from there. And also, Rather than amount of data, it's about the quality of the data and representation of the real world um, use case. So having processes through which that data is checked to make sure that it has all the components that are useful for the analysis on a continuous basis and that when it updates doesn't get corrupted and things like that is, is really, I think, the more important aspect to focus on. Well, Nathan, let me pick up on that last point that you made. So what are some of the tools that you like to think about in terms of verification of your data set? And really, it comes back to how do you convince yourself that you've got the right and enough data to go forward with an operational system, per se? Well, I think it has to do with with testing and with having those domain experts involved with the, with the data ingestion process. So having a tool that you know first can flag outliers and spikes in the data abnormal aspects right like if a value is usually within a certain range and as far as tool sets you know there's there's a lot of them out there so the right one depends on uh the use case again right but having 
you know, some tool that monitors data as it moves through those analytics pipelines and flags for anomalies, and then making sure that that data flows to the correct domain expert so that they can check it and then have a feedback process to correct it. That's that's important. So Ellen, did that your question? Yeah, that was terrific. Ellen or Gretchen, anything to add on the verification of the data set? Or do you do you thumbs up on Nathan? Well, clearly, you do want your data to be good. Within sorts of the tasks that I run, it's actually not necessarily clear what good data is. And so depending upon what problem you have and what's, what you're trying to, to do, the definition of good data will, will not necessarily be clear. And in particular, the types of tasks that I run, we're trying to do sort of generic language stuff. And so, so even so like ungrammatical language is still language that we have to take care of. So I would, I would caution people against trying to make their data more clean than their task actually supports. Gretchen, anything to add on that? No, I think Ellen brings up a really brilliant point. I find that lots of times it's really in, as, as Nathan had mentioned, in the testing. So you might train your model based on certain data that you have, and then you apply it. And it's that combination of you know a domain expert who will say, hey, either the model is not right or the data that you're using to train because the results that you're using on data that I'm aware of isn't give me, giving me an answer that I would expect. So I think some of it really is the trial and error, but it is that communication. And, and it's also, I think, ensuring that you have a number of people with different expertise who are really reviewing it to ensure, as, as I like to say, you know, data science is a team sport. It's nothing that somebody does sitting in a vacuum by themselves. Great. I'm going to pick on you again, Gretchen. I'm going to have you start off this question. And part of the reason I'm going to do that is because you're the only one on the panel who represents industry. And so my question, and I'll ask this for the group because I think it's relevant for all, but what do you see as the roles of government and the private sector in the development and fielding of AI capabilities? So really a two-part question. And, and thank you for that. And the truth is, I think we are representative of the kind of joint work between NIST and GSA and a company like Intel, you know, since back in the 50s. So folks may not realize this, but the first artificial intelligence and machine learning conference was in 1956 at Dartmouth College. And that was funded by NSF funds and other parts of the government. And it was a combination of academic and industry and government coming together and saying, hey, we have some hard problems and we need to do this together. And, and the truth is we, you know, have been involved with, you know, DARPA projects and others. And I think that it is the combination. And I think truthfully, sometimes, and, and again, I, I work for Intel and we have been around for a while, but I do see sometimes that people get very excited about the latest bright, shiny object. And that the truth is sometimes it really is talking to you know, the AWSs and the Google and the Intels and others about how is it best to solve this? And absolutely, some of those latest bright, shiny products are perfect for a niche piece of it. But I think what it just shows is, again, it is a, it is a team working together. You need the hardware, you need the software, you need the right connectivity, whether it be 5G or, you know, future kind of communications and the comm that is being used today on the battlefield. It, is a great example. And you need all of us working together to be able to solve the problem. No one can do it by themselves. 
So do you carve out a specific role, though? I mean, obviously, industry is doing a lot of the, the early you know, research on these areas and bringing it forward. What do you want from the government in this dialogue? Oh, you know, that's a great question. I think that there are advisory boards where, you know, sometimes Intel is on them and selfishly, sometimes we're not. So I don't always feel um, that you get maybe the hardware perspective because software doesn't work without hardware. Hardware doesn't work without software, if you know what I mean. And that I think part of what we've been trying to do is partner more with universities and also have a part of our company called Intel Capital where we are investing. Last year alone, we invested over $2 billion in AI companies. And those are startups. And honestly, previously, a number of years ago, we invested in startups like VMware and others that people have absolutely heard about. So I think it's that combination of not only developing it in our labs, working directly with the DARPAs, IARPAs, NSF, et cetera, but it's also investing in those new technologies so that we can solve the problems. Super. So, Ellen, let me turn that question to you. And again, just to remind you, it's it's what are the roles of both government and the private sector in this relationship? And obviously, NIST is at a critical juncture. And so talk a little bit about how you see that and, and what your role as you know a, a representative NIST actually is in this space. So certainly within the projects that I've been involved with at NIST, um, the, the focus has been on technology transfer, right? It's been it's been largely research area, but technology transfer has been in a major component of of what the tests that we run do. And that's not just technology transfer necessarily between academia and and industry, but among different industrial partners and among different partners, you know, so sort of all around. And and that's a really exciting part of 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 what this the program does. Within the research realm right now within language processing at least it's it's probably actually right now the industry that has the that has the resources in order to build these large language models right and it's actually not happening so much in in academia because of the need for for large amounts of data and large amount of compute power and that's somewhat of a problem actually that that the power is sort of being concentrated in small a handful of proprietary places and so one of the things that NIST would like to do facilitating there is is more open science, more open access to a variety of these different types of things. Great. Nathan, what's your thought on this uh, very important question? So, you know, with GSA, obviously, the Federal Acquisition Service exists to leverage private industry, you know, for the betterment of the government, right? So we do a lot with with industry directly through acquisition, and that that's a big part of what the CO the COEs do. In addition to that, through the communities of practice, we have started to work with academia. So recently, the communities of practice, artificial intelligence community, facilitated a session where Stanford Human AI Interaction (HAI) is the acronym. I don't fully remember what it is, but they came in and conducted a set of workshops that were accessible to anybody in the federal government. So you know, working with academia to make those insights and research available to, you know, federal practitioners of technology is important. And then also, you know, utilizing acquisition to get access to emerging technologies and the advances that are going on is something that GSA is definitely directly involved in. I think another role of the government is to make sure that these new technologies, while they're great, are applied appropriately, right, to improve the experience of the citizen, right? 
And so that kind of goes back to the last question that we were talking about appropriate use of data, how much data do you need, quality and things like that. I think part of the government's role is to work on processes through which you know, tools can be verified that they're appropriate for how they're deployed. For instance, you know, if there was a tool that, say, you know, th- there's an agency that services the whole country, right? But there's a tool that was developed with only data from a certain part of the country, you know, a region, East Coast or something. Verifying that that same, you know, that the situation is similar enough on the other side of the country that that model can be used over there and having processes to verify the training that, you know, the data that's used in development. I think that's also an important role of the government. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF The Podcast on every major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum.